You're listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast focused on Germany, the United States, and the transatlantic relationship. Join us as we discuss economics, trade and technology, politics, security, and a lot more. I'm Jeff Rathke, president of the American German Institute at Johns Hopkins University. Well, I want to welcome all of our listeners to this episode of The Zeitgeist. And today, um, the person we are uh, delighted to have with us uh, is Jackson Janes. Uh, Jack, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. And I'm joined by Eric Langenbacher, who is a senior fellow and director of the Society, Culture, and Politics program um, at the American German Institute. Good well, morning, Eric. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Jack. Good well, morning. Um, so uh, Jack Janes is probably a name familiar to many of our listeners uh, out there. Um, Jack, uh, what, you've been associated with this institute for how long? Over 30 years. Um, you joined in 1989, if, uh, if I've got that right. Uh, right. And yeah. you became the executive director or president of the institute in what, 1994? Roughly. Ish. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, and uh, Jack is my predecessor uh, as president, having served in that capacity from 1994 until 2018. So, a pretty remarkable uh, run of uh, of what 24 years uh, or so. Um, and uh, of course, your history in German-American relations and in uh, study of Germany goes back much further, though. Um, uh, when, when did you first come into contact with Germany? When I was a junior in college, I was at Colgate, and we wound up uh, looking at ways to spend a junior year abroad. And I was lucky enough to find a program in Freiburg, in Breisgau, which is, really begins everything that I did for the next 50 years. Okay, so we've got a 50-year um, arc uh, to <laughs> construct in the next uh, 20 to 30 minutes. Um, but before, um, before we uh, start on that, uh, what are you up to these days? I'm uh, over at the German Marshall Fund as a resident senior fellow and doing some work for them in terms of commenting and writing, as well as trying very hard to put those 50 years into a form of a book, but it's... Uh, shall we say, work in progress, but it's certainly a, uh, a continuation of so much of what I did at AICGS, now uh, AGI, uh, that it's very, very satisfying to continue that. Okay. Well, we will touch on all those things. and so, But I want to start off by asking maybe a basic question. Um, why does the German-American relationship need a think tank or a research institute that is devoted to that um, relationship to those sets of issues, in your view? Here in Washington, you mean? Yeah. I think it's because of the way in which we think about the United States on the world stage and look around for those allies and partners that we need, sometimes uh, sorting out problems, sometimes finding out common denominators. But uh, in my view, it was always the case that if there was one country in Europe that was going to signify not only a bilateral relationship of importance, but also representing European-American relations in, in a very important way, and in effect then giving us a chance to figure out the answer to four questions, which I often used in talks that I gave, which were how, when, where, and why does this relationship matter? 
Mm-hmm. And I found the answers to that in those many years that I was working. Okay. Now, you know, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, one of our, uh, one of our trustees um, uh, talks frequently about uh, Germany being, in his view, the third or fourth most important country um, in the world. And it's not about creating necessarily a, a table or a ranking, um, but I think it's a way of of seeing Germany as incorporating something larger than its 80 plus million people and its large economy. But in your experience over many decades uh, working on Germany and in the German-American relationship, has it always been that way? Um, you know, have you always? Uh, was it always the case that Germany was seen as the linchpin, as the way the United States uh, tried to organize, mobilize, and engage um, with a broader set of countries? Um, or has that perspective and have those priorities changed um, over the decades you've been involved? I like to think about it this way, Jeff. Um, in the years reading, leading up to 1989, 1990, and unification, Germany was the front line of the Cold War, but it was also the object of American foreign policy. In other words, we were there, as you know, as a diplomat, there in, uh, in those 40 years in a great uh, way, not only in terms of American military troops, but Generally speaking, the American presence in Germany was enormously important because it was the front line. And I think that the object of American foreign policy, because it was really what was at stake in terms of dealing with the Soviet Union. When 90 came, I I changed the way of thinking about that to Germany becoming the subject of American foreign policy. And I had a kind of a funny way of saying that to some Germans. And I was saying it used to be that Germany uh, was the front line of the Cold War, and it was demonstrated by something called the Fulda Gap. In 1990, and remember that was also not only the year of unification, but it was the year of a war in Iraq, um, the Fulda Gap became a lot more uh, ever-present elsewhere in the globe, and we needed Germany to meet those challenges too. So that role changed, in my view, uh, in that very pivotal moment, that historical moment of 1990. Understood. If I could just jump in for a second, um, you know, we really are marking a lot of nice round anniversaries uh, with this podcast and in this year. Um, Jack, you just said that you've been involved with AICGS for more than 30 years and been involved or studying the German-American relationship for 50 years. And of course, this is the 40th anniversary of the American German Institute, formerly known as the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies. So it's nice that we have this opportunity to kind of look back and to reflect. And if I can share a personal observation, you know, Jack, I think that you and I have probably interacted for probably a good 25 years at this point, ever since I came to Washington, D.C. for graduate school in 1996. And I have to say that I have learned a lot from you over the years, and there's certain things that kind of, you know, stick in my mind. So, for instance, one of the things that I remember you constantly reiterating um, also in recent years is the American troop presence in Germany and how there are literally, well, probably millions of Americans alive at this point that know Germany or at least have some experience of Germany because they were deployed uh, in that country or they they did a rotation um, or maybe they were convalescing uh, in, um, you know, Rammstein, Landstuhl and places like that. 
And you always made a, a, a point of emphasizing how important that kind of person-to-person, face-to-face interaction has been for the German-American relationship. But, you know, I'm just wondering, kind of looking forward, I mean, we had, what, hundreds of thousands of troops on the ground in Germany back at the height of the Cold War. And now I think that our troop presence is more like 35,000, uh, which is still one of the bigger deployments around the world, but it's a, a shadow of its former self. So I'm just wondering what you think the implications of that might be. I mean, it, it, it's also really interesting if you look at public opinion polling, um, well, maybe not amongst Republicans during the Trump era, but if you look at public opinion polling going back decades, Americans feel pretty warmly uh, towards Germany, um, despite you know Germany's very troubled past and um, America's co-defeat of Nazi Germany by 1945, but there was, was this kind of warmth. And your point was always that it's because so many Americans had this kind of personal interaction with the country. So now that there's just going to be fewer interactions, what do you think the implications for that are for the future of the German-American relationship? It's very nice that you point that out. I mean, I think that the overall number that I'm familiar with in terms of the amount of Americans that lived and worked in Germany uh, strictly through the military diplomatic channels over the 40 years leading up to 1990 was well over 18 million. So there was a lot of, uh, of, shall we say, absorption of Germany in various different ways among millions of Americans. I think that there is um, now uh, a different way of looking at the way that America still has an enormous presence in Germany through the media and, and to some extent through uh, business relationships, but it doesn't come close to the quantitative number and the everyday experiences that Germans had with Americans on the ground in those years. So I think that what that it goes along with what I said before, Eric, about Germany becoming a subject of American foreign policy. The troops in, in, in Germany were, were there because it was the object of, of the uh, Cold War strategy. Uh, after that, I think that what's happened is that Germany's ability to be a partner in leadership, to coin a phrase from George Herbert Walker Bush, has also been matched by another way of putting that, and that is a leadership, a leader in partnership. And in that respect, I think that what we see is a maturing relationship between the two countries that doesn't necessarily rule out a lot of um, points of friction as we remember seeing, for example, in the period of the Iraq war or Merkel's phone being tapped and things like that. So I think that what it, 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 it changed in 1990 because of what Germany went through and it changed in the sense of what we expect from Germany. And that relationship is defined by that. What is it that we expect from each other? What is it that we need from each other? Where, how, and when? But the more important question, I'll stress this again, is why? And I think that that's the reason that I would come back to Jeff's earlier question is that there are many, many partners of the United States throughout the globe, but there's one in which this relationship has been through the depths of enmity and the depths of, of, of conflict in the 20th century. And now in this, 20, in this 21st century has become a, a partner, the likes of which we have not to take for granted. And I think that's the kind of thing that we have to kind of continuously keep in mind when we're also dealing with conflicts and frictions. Just one quick uh, follow-up question. Uh, I really like that emphasis on the why, but I'm also kind of interested in, 
you know, shifting contexts. And I really like this point that you made about Germany shifting from being an object to a subject of U.S. foreign policy. And I, I, I couldn't agree more. But, you know, the geopolitical environment in Europe, Eurasia, the world is very different from five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And everybody talks about the return of great power competition, um, which may or may not be the case, right? But how do you think the German-American relationship will evolve in this very new geopolitical context that we haven't seen for quite some time? Well, I do think that because of the fact that this change in the last 30 years or so has seen Germany uh, not only struggling with itself to become the leader of Europe economically, certainly, but not only, but the expectations around Germany's role in Europe have increased. So have the interests of Germany as a united country. And so I think that basically what we're looking at is the need for a new narrative between these two countries. Again, to come back to the question, where do we need each other to do what? And the narrative that we had prior to 1989 was absolutely glass clear. Keep the Federal Republic of Germany safe. After that, it's become a much larger question, as I tried to say with my you know, reference to Fulda, that we've got a lot more challenges out there than just seeing people on the other side of a wall. And that it doesn't necessarily mean that Germany and the United States are going to agree on how to deal with those challenges. But my response to that is, okay, but what alternatives do we have uh, to having a partner that at least can agree with us and talk with us about those challenges actually existing. And I think that's where the relationship starts. You know, one thing that strikes me over the last 14 months, uh, 15 months dealing with the Russian invasion of Ukraine is the durability of the Atlantic instinct in German foreign policy. Um, because while, of course, uh, Germany has uh, has tried to make use of and to work in concert with its European Union partners and other countries in Europe, uh, nevertheless, you see that the fundamental pivot point of what Germany is willing to do uh, centers on the relationship with the United States. You see it in the way Chancellor Schultz uh, regularly invokes his personal and professional relationship with President Biden. You see it in the way Germany approached this question of providing tanks to uh, to Ukraine, which it was only willing to do once the United States made a similar commitment. Um, this, this, in a way, underscores the continuity in Germany's view of its priorities when, um, when crucial interests are really on the line. Um, and I think that's uh, pretty remarkable, um, uh, despite all of the talk about a, you know, a wanting a more robust European foreign policy, a more integrated European Union, and a more active European Union, that the most important things are being done in a transatlantic context. I agree, Jeff. I think, though, that the um, notion of the dependence on the United States and its ability to uh, interact with Europe and Germany in particular, sometimes creates resentment in parts of the discussion. Um, and that is, to some extent, is what I was trying to frame as 
not just partners in leadership, but leaders in partnership. And leaders sometimes don't have the same view on how to deal with challenges. But I think that that notion of what it has always anchored itself in, really, when you think about it, almost every chancellor since 1949 has essentially uh, emphasized that. Even in the period, of, especially when you think about what happened in Germany after 9-11, the uh, unlimited uh, uh, solidarity that Chancellor Schroeder uttered on the, on the steps of the, of, the, of the Bundestag in Berlin right after 9-11, didn't rule out the fact that there was a bit of a conflict and clash over Iraq two years later. So those things happened in the context of the last 30 years as these two nations who really do need each other in so many ways adjusted to a whole new development on the world stage. And they still are doing that. And I think the most important thing is to keep that conversation going and the dialogue going. And that's exactly the answer to the first question you asked, why do we need an institution here in Washington that focuses on Germany? <laughs> now, um, you know, Jack, uh, one of the things that I find uh, fascinating is that this, you know, this is an organization, the uh, American German Institute that was created really a, in a Cold War context in order, to, among other things, to better understand two Germanys, um, the Federal Republic of Germany, West Germany, and the German Democratic Republic, East Germany, um, at a time when to most people, it seemed like that was going to be the the nature of the uh, European political map for the foreseeable future. Um, so that's an obvious change uh, during the time you've been uh, part of this uh, organization. Um, but I'm curious if there are other changes in Germany um, or in the relationship that uh, that strike you uh, as particularly significant. Of course, you've talked about the trend, the transformation. Um, of Germany's role uh, in the view in the eyes of the United States, but uh, I'd I'd like to give you the opportunity to reflect on other other things that uh, perhaps um, may that you see as significant uh, changes uh, over over this time period. When Germany was unified, one of the first things that it did was to under Chancellor Kohl was to assure the rest of Europe that a united Germany was not going to resemble the 20th century before 1945. Um, and I think that to some extent, what's been the case ever since is trying to look at Germany's efforts to deal with itself as a European leader. Um, and in fact, emphasizing the fact that the ability of Europe to be uh, not just Germany, uncomfortableness with which many people, uh, particularly in Britain and in France, uh, with Germany becoming unified. So Germany's been adjusting and working on that particular challenge ever since. And I think that that's the kind of thing that has been a bit of a difficult process, a struggle uh, that Germany has had, where it's been looking at what it is that... Um, we have had in, in a way of deciding what we need to do together. 
Um, and I'm, I'm not entirely sure uh, how that fits well into the Ukraine situation at the moment, but I think it does. That Germany's r- real interpretation of what it was that happened in 1990 um, was in many ways a kind of a sense of finally we are at a point where we're only surrounded by friends and we only now have the ability to flourish within a European Union um, as Cole envisioned it. And then we found out that the realpolitik of the world wasn't, wasn't going to stop, whether it's in Iraq, whether it was in the Balkans, whether it was in Kosovo, whether it was 9-11. And I think that that adjustment is more important than anything else. And I'm trying to understand how Germany has come to grips with its increasingly important role in a changing theater, not in just in Europe, but around the globe. Or if I can jump in with um, a couple of questions. So, you know, looking back at your um, tenure at AICGS, what are the biggest things that you were involved with? Or what are your proudest accomplishments with the Institute? Well, I think that basically the notion of trying to come to grips with the unification issue, which, as Jeff pointed out, quite nicely that, you know, uh, and I'm, I'll admit, I was one of those people that didn't think things were going to change. Uh, luckily, my, my, uh, the founding director of AICGS and Jerry Livingston was able to foresee something that I didn't uh, by virtue of his interest in, in looking at the two Germanys uh, together. Um, so working through that particular new narrative about what a new Germany, a Germany united, a Germany now in a a larger context in Europe, that was, I think, the most important uh, mission that we had at that point to try to decipher what that meant. I think that as we go through the the rest of those three decades, uh, you saw uh, differences in terms of how the U.S. was going to react to certain things. I mentioned them earlier. Uh, One of the things that occurs to me is the way that 9-11 impacted the United States and how it impacted Europe and Germany in particular, and and trying to figure out how to come to common ground with regard to what we would do about that that particular catastrophic event here and how it would be interpreted in Germany. That led to some real conflicts, and I mentioned them before, uh, about the Iraq war, which was not an easy time uh, in German-American relations. Um, But then again, as you go forward and you think about other issues in which both the United States was having to adjust to new settings, whether it be the financial crisis in 2011 or whether it be uh, what happened in Ukraine in 2014, all of these were challenges that many people, especially in Germany, did not want to uh, expect after 1990. Uh, 1990 was a year in which we were finally going to be, as uh, Frank Fukuyama called it, the the end of history, and and the world was going to be a safer place. Well, that hasn't happened uh, as well as one had expected and hoped. So I think that that the deciphering of these moments, and, and, and there were many others that I could mention, in which Germany and the United States were not on the same page with regard to how to deal with the challenge, but often it's not. It was more important to figure out, have we describe the problem in a way that we can still talk about it, even if we differ on prescriptions as to how to react. And that I think was one of the more important things that the Institute was able to do through its many programs. And I don't 
mean to only emphasize that in the context of geopolitical or geoeconomic issues. There was also some important, and you should know this in particular, Eric, cultural changes that were going on and how Germany was dealing with that, whether it's immigration or whether it's the demography of the country. It was so important in my view to explain to Americans what that cultural de debate in Germany was about, uh, which Lily Gardner Feldman uh, played such a role in before you. So I think those levels of trying to decipher which was the narrative on both sides of the Atlantic, where did they match up and where did they perhaps conflict? That was, I think, generically where I felt most comfortable in what we've done over those last 30 years. Well, that actually sets up my final question for you, which is, um, and, you know, I apologize in advance if it's a little on the um, less complex side, but, you know, after observing Germany for decades, leading the Institute for so long, how would you describe Germany to, you know, an average American that might know a little bit about the country, but not a lot? And conversely, how would you describe the United States to a German trying to understand uh, this country today? That we have a lot in common as two uh, wealthy, politically stable democracies trying to figure out how to make dimensions of our society improve and that we can learn from each other because of the fact, and I say this advisedly again, the kind of history that this, these two countries share is unique in the context of what we went through in the first half of the 20th century and what we went through in the second half of the 20th century, right up until now. I think that's extremely important to recall given the fact that the relationships between other European countries don't have that same uh, enormous catharsis behind it for, for better and also of course for worse. And so I think that to some extent it leaves this country in a way bonded to the United States as it is today as the Federal Republic, but in a way having similar questions, similar problems and similar challenges that they will come up with different solutions for, but we certainly can learn, I think, a hell of a lot from each other given our similarities. Great, Jeff, do you have um, a final question or comment? Well, I think uh, I think that uh, draws it all together uh, nicely, and we we've uh, talked about your thirty years as, uh, in as a employee and as the the director, the president uh, of this institute, Jack, about the fortieth anniversary of the American German Institute, which we are marking uh, this year, twenty twenty three. Uh, and your 50 years uh, as uh, an observer and a participant and a shaper of uh, the German-American relationship. And I think that um, we have uh, perhaps succeeded in, in bringing those things together uh, that we laid out at the start. So I, I want to thank you, uh, not just for this conversation, uh, that's the least of it, but thank you for your uh, tireless engagement um, over decades uh, on behalf of this institute and on behalf of the partnership between Germany and the United States. And all I can say to you is there's still much more work to do, but feel a fog. <laughs> well, uh, we've had with us today, uh, Dr. Jackson Janes. By the way, Jack, where, where did you earn your PhD? At the Claremont Graduate University in Claremont, California.
Okay. Um, uh, Jack Janes, um, a longstanding observer of Germany and the United States and their partnership. Thanks so much for being with us uh, on this episode of The Zeitgeist. And to all the listeners out there, we look forward to having you with us again soon. Thanks for listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast produced by the American German Institute at Johns Hopkins University. You may know us under our old name, the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies. Send us your feedback by email at info at AICGS.org or on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, where we have new handles at A-M-G-E-R-I-N-S-T. And also please visit our website at AmericanGerman.Institute, formerly AICGS, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Thanks. Thanks.